welcome to the podcast. My guest again today is Kristen Keffler. This is part two. We did part one, uh, which was the her book, The Myth of the Silver I guess the best way to describe it is the paradigm. I know Jim Grubman, I think, first put it out there at PPI and the Rendezvous thing in 2019. Yeah. And then you yeah. and Dennis, uh, Jaffe and, and Jim have been working together. I understand there's a book in the works and I haven't been able to get out of gym exactly when it's going to be done, but <laughs> we'll say mid-year. I think it'll be, we're, we're targeting mid-year. Yeah. So last time I talked to him, he said second quarter. I'm thinking, yeah, it's not going to happen. It'll be closer to <laughs> second to third. It'll be <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such a, so much work as we, as we have named the, the writing of a book is so much work, but it's, yeah, we're, we're working, we're working speedily to get it out. Yeah. And it really has taken a life of its own. For those of you who haven't listened to the podcast I did with Jim Grubman, I would do that because that leads into this too. Wealth 3.0 is not like an event. This is this is a transition that happens over time. And for a lot of the financial advisors, maybe the best way to, to do this, the analogy is, this is like what's happened in the financial services world in the 80s, yes. where anybody could call themselves a financial advisor. There were no standards. Nobody knew what was going on. The clients had no idea what to expect. And it was just kind of a cottage industry. And now it's completely different. That's what we're talking about here only in the the family wealth advisory world. I mean, wealth planning wasn't even a thing when we started all this. I mean, you you go back to the 80s and the 90s, there wasn't an industry called wealth plan. And that's that's, part of this wealth 3.0. So I guess we can start with... Can you kind of connect the dots? I mean, in the in the book, you started it towards the end of the book um, about Wealth 3.0. How does Wealth 3.0 connect with the myth of the silver spoon and then go beyond that? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, so I think, so to to underscore your point, Rod, that, that Wealth 3.0 isn't an event. It's not a, it's not even a tech, it's not a technique. Right. It's, it's really like this, the way that, that I think Jim framed it is um, for his PPI uh, keynote, which is really the first time that this thinking was kind of put out into our uh, into our collective set of disciplines. Um, it's it's really a an evolution, but in some ways. So if we think about um, wealth 1.0, is really like pre 1980, and that was like at the heart of it is really dynastic wealth, and you know one one advisor for one for the head of the family and there was no transparency there was no sight lines for family members to like what was happening and why you certainly would never talk about your experience of being raised with wealth um and so like that was like really very pre-1980 and then as you just named in 1980 1985 there really started to be this shift in the way that we thought about about wealth and money and and as advisors, there's sort of this broadening sense of not just having a single person who is sort of like the sole person de confidence that of of a family, but instead there was the uh, ecosystem of of advisors, right? And like probably a trusted advisor who quarterbacked with an ecosystem of advisors. There was the the sort of dawning of life planning and the Kinder Institute and the thing and you know the thinking right. around right? Like holistic planning, you know, um, all of, all of the work that you have been championing for years was as very much like the growth and evolution, um, of really embodying the best of wealth 2.0. Um, 
And a lot of what um, Wealth 2.0 really gave us um, a, a, a sense of like the multiple capitals of a family. Um, for the first time, we had the voices of inheritors, like Joni Bronfman's uh, PhD dissertation and her interviewing her friends and, and family members was the first time we really got the sense that there was a lived experience of, of, of people inside the family and that it wasn't always positive, right? That there was difficulty and challenge to being raised with wealth. Um, and so Wealth 2.0 really broadened the aperture and like a, a really important and necessary element of, of our growth through uh, as, as a collective set of industries or as a collective set of disciplines. Um, it's really fundamentally important to where we're at today. And one of the downsides of Wealth 2.0 is that there, there tended to be um, a lot of pessimism, a lot of negativity that was right. really sort of hardwired into our belief system around wealth and money and families of wealth. So things like the, you know, the shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations, which I think originally was really just sort of a cautionary tale of like, this is the cycle of like there, there, there can be a cycle of wealth creation and dissipation. And when not tended to, there's probably a natural cycle of wealth creation and dis dissipation. And so I, I think shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves sort of started from that place, but then was like internalized by the industry as a truism rather than right. sort of a proverb that named, you know, sort of like the, the feed a fever, starve a cold right. of antiquities <laughs> added, right? And, um, but, but a little bit more, so shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves is certainly one, but even more, um, sort of, uh, toothy, I guess, were, were some of the research that was, um, that was coming out in Wealth 2.0 that we, we as an industry took and ran with and the media took and ran with, um, things like John Ward's study of the failure, um, you know, 30% of family businesses make it to the second generation, only 13 make it to the third generation or through the third generation. And, um, and that, that we took and ran with that saying like family businesses fail, right? You know, overarchingly we, family businesses fail. We generalized it to every, every business. Everything. Right? Yeah. Yep. And, and, and in fact, when you look at that research, there's, um, John, even John Ward, like it was, it was good research. It was good starter research mm -hmm. for when research wasn't being done in the field. And um, as, as you and I have talked about, like it was a pretty limited um, pool of, of research participants, right? And, and they were it looking was at 200 manufacturing families in, in Illinois. Illinois. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, so I'm, this is a pretty small world. And, right. you know, but I, that's one of the things I've had people say, you know, I, Ward's uh, research was wrong. No, Ward's research was good. It was just really, I mean, it just is what it is. I mean, it was right. 200 families looking at if they were listed in 1924 and still in 1984, you know, if they lasted 60 years. Right. But somehow it got from there to, well, you know, and, and his research was basically a 60-year thing. And if you look at, I loved when I went back and kind of looked at some of this stuff. And see, that was when I was first starting to do my research. That was just coming out. So I was, you know, and I read it and I read, you know, I went through this stuff and it, it really said that only 30% made it through second generation. Somehow that got translated into only 30% made it to second generation. Interesting. That's kind of a big difference. Yeah. Plus, it's 1987. A lot has happened since 1987. I mean, you know, 20 years later, the iPhone came out. Just think about that. 
So, right. Yeah, you know, right? but it just got globalized into, and I don't know about. I mean, I've, I, I think probably most of our us that work with affluent families, I've had the families come to me and say, "Well, you know, ninety percent of the time, the money's gone by the end of the third generation, right. before we even say anything." Right. Yeah. No. It's it's been an internalized um, people, it, an internalized, and I say fact in air quotes mm-hmm. that that like this is the this is going to be the path of my family we we are fighting such major odds um and and i think that the and then and then obviously the third the third sort of leg of that stool that has been like absolutely internalized by families and advisors alike is the um williamson presser state on the 70% failure rate of of families and really with what with the word study um, that was a great first start in research and right. in, in a field and family business where research was just starting, right? Like someday someone's going to look at the research that I did that shows up in the myth of the silver spoon and they're going to poke holes through it too. And it was a great first start right. for research in that space. And so like I, so we, we, you know, hats off to, to the people who are willing to actually go make an attempt to understand this. And now we know that that with the ward study that there's there there has been other studies that have superseded that that really illustrate another story which is far more rosy for family businesses um, as it as it uh, pertains to their success rate over time and and it, it just is like it looks a little different right if a family right. divested of one operating company and invested in another that according to the word criteria would be a failure. a failure right when if you ask the family probably they, most of the time right. they would say like wow look at we pivoted just at the right time and moved on to the next industry um and so i guess the the point that, that uh, around the the downside of wealth 2.0 has really been a, a heightened focus on fear and failure and an approach to client work that is around protection um and and making sure that like yeah protection ring fencing this idea that like we have to protect the family from the assets and the assets from the family and and this invitation to well 3.0 well there's there's multiple components that have to do with our profession um and and we can speak to that in a moment if if we want to go there but at the heart of um at the heart of it is really you know you had named for, for the listeners, the shift that took place in the financial advising industry in the 80s and 90s, there's a similar shift that took place in psychology in the, um, you know, sort of the pre-1998 realm and then the po- after 1998. And it was really, 1998 is when Marty Seligman, who's known as the father of positive psychology, um, put the mandate out there, put the invitation, the manifesto out there to the psychology community and said, we have spent we have spent decades researching, you know, since World War II, researching what um, what comprises human suffering. What are the the elements that that trigger human suffering? And we have forgotten to research what supports human thriving. And that was the this explosion, this moment in time where research in positive psychology started to really proliferate. And I think we're at that pivot point in family wealth as well, where it's like, we've spent a lot of time understanding, trying to understand where families fail. And now the real call to action is to understand what are the factors that are present when families succeed? 
Right. And and so Wealth 3.0 has, has a number of components related to that that have to do with the professionalization of our field and common core education and training and better research and practice methods that really at the heart look help families take that pivot into a more positive discovery um, kind of process. Of, uh, and so to like, this is the long answer to your question. So <laughs> oh, that's good. Soon, um, really, it was because my approach has always been one that is, you know, you and I've talked about this, like, I, I'm just an eternal optimist. And my approach with with families and with clients has always been about possibility. And then with my formal training, um, at Penn with their positive psychology program, the myth of the silver spoon was an outgrowth of like, how can I be doing research? So it's research in exemplars, like mm -hmm. exemplar rising gen. So rising gen at the top of their game and, and capturing a narrative that actually is one that's an invitation to possibility for rising gen and families um, and their advisors. And the hope is that the confluence between like this book it really can be maybe a, a foundational piece to help all of us consider this move into this next sort of era of our fields. And what's interesting is this this movement into Wealth 3.0 is not just, I mean, it's been going on. I mean, this it's is been going on. it's been going on for a while. And um, when you look at it, in the 90s, the, the late 90s is really where there's a lot of things that happened. I mean, you know, this is where positive psychology started to come in. It's when we really were anchoring in on the, you know, the 90% rule and 70% of the time it's going to go down yeah. in each generation. All of that stuff was happening at the same time. <clears throat> and at the same time, though, we started having, when the millennials started getting involved, in, I think it, the shift on the client side came with the millennials getting involved with philanthropy. Because mm -hmm. before that, the baby boomer in my generation, if you wanted to support the community, you gave to the community foundation, right? And, right. you know, and the, the millennials are coming in and go, I want to know what the impact of my dollar is. Yeah. So they were looking at accountability and they were looking at desired outcomes rather than just preserving the money. You know, yeah. what do we really want and how do we measure our success? Totally. And that was, you know, so that shift you know, at the same time, we have now the positive psychology and going, okay, we should be talking about what works, not what doesn't work. And, you know, and it's like, the, the way I've explained it to some of my clients is, uh, I should write something on this, is that it's two paths that are converging. I mean, they're, they're, they're the same paths. We, on the one hand, we have the, the positive psychology saying, this is what we should be doing. Yeah. And you have the millennials and younger saying, this is what you will be doing. <laughs> this is what we demand, you know, and it's really consistent yep. uh, uh, between the two of them, which I think is a great part of this. The other, and you mentioned it earlier, one of the other pieces that I think is, is tied into all of this is collaboration mm -hmm. and, you know, interdisciplinary collaboration and stuff. What's fascinating to me is and can, when I did my research back in the, in the early nineties and, we came up with this whole thing about um, we we came up with twelve attributes that families tended to share. One of the attributes that families that were successful tended to share was they had a collaborative team of advisors. They required collaboration between their advisors, which I'd never even thought about. Yep. You know, until then, and and so it's like, okay, well, that's that's interesting. Well, now it makes sense. <laughs> you know, at the time, it was just an observation that this is this is what they were doing. Um, 
Well, and if you think about like, you know, one of the, one of the more recent, uh, I think very cool models, and it's really the, the first, the first model of Wealth 3.0 is the, the ultra high net worths model on the 10 domains of wealth. And, and when you think about when you can, I, I think it's such a brilliant model because it's, it, it makes simple or it it gives us a more simple way to access what is a very complex system, and um, and when you look at those ten domains and the the level of expertise needed to to lead those ten domains well, it's I mean there is no one person nobody can do it really yeah. could do that, right. and so the idea that collaboration is necessary, like you can just look at that model and say yes, in order to serve families well. There needs to be somebody who who really understands rising gen education and development, and there needs to be the law person and the tax person, and there needs to be the philanthropic person. And those people are probably not the same person. Right. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because you know we came up with our twelve elements, then there was the 10, 10 domains. They all tie together. Yeah. Or just you know said different ways, and but they they all lead to the fact that, like you said, no one person can do this. I mean, you know, uh, two of the things that we found with with families is they had a culture of communication, trust, and mentoring. Mm. Mentoring is something that people don't talk about very often, but yep. that was the families who were successful. And, and by the way, for us, this is one of the things where we really shifted. Our definition of success was what was the family's definition of success? And most financial advisors, the definition of success is, do we keep the business in the family? And when you look at a lot of these families, like you said, some of them pivoted. And it was the best thing in the world for the family. You know, I had one family that I love. They had a family foundation and all the, everybody else, the accountants, and the, they were talking about how can we maintain this family foundation forever? And the family, it's driven by the dad, they all went, we want to help the company, the country now. Mm. So they built their foundation. So it had to be distributed out within 15 years. Love it. That's a failure under the old model. Okay. It's, right? And it's a huge success for the family. I mean, what they were able to do and work together to do, but that it's, it's some of those just, in some ways they're subtle, but they're dynastic. I mean, they're oh, huge. They, they are, they are absolutely. And it's the, it's the difference between like, what is, what is, how would I define success for my own life or my own family versus what is somebody else's projection of what success looks like, right? Like, right maintaining, preserving, growing wealth, maintaining, preserving, growing the foundation, maintaining sole ownership of a family business. Those might be metrics that feel from the outside, feel easier to us to, to categorize as like, look, that was done well. But like that life cycle of a family doesn't necessarily like align with that, right? right. Like families are not, not, it's not the right and healthy thing for every family to have to continue to make decisions together and govern together. And like sometimes the best thing for family relationships is to just have family relationships and to not have a thing that is binding everyone together. Yeah, it's fascinating. We've we had this discussion a lot of times when we're doing what we call a family alignment milestone with the family. Okay. So which it's getting all the information from all everybody's got the same voice and stuff. At the end, uh, or at a different meeting, we'll talk about, okay. So if this is what your desired outcomes are as a family, and this is where you want to be, does the family business fit or how does it fit? Yeah. And they have to actually take a look at, because they've always got in with the assumption that the family business is what, you know, we're going to, and then you have, you build governance so that the family doesn't mess up the business. I mean, that's 
not exactly governance, but anyway. Uh, but then facing that question of, is there going to be a time where maybe the fam keeping the family business isn't what's going to get us what we said we want as a family? And is that okay? Yeah. And just getting to the point where they'll recognize that is a huge step. Yep. Because for the wealth creator, that business is another family member. That's another kid. I mean, that's their identity. And, you know, um, and sure. so for the family, they've grown up in that. Yeah. And shared, shared the space with that. Right. And right. shared space with that. But that question is a legitimate question. You know, it's, it's how is the family going to define the success? That's what we should be targeting at. Not how we, I, I love, I don't know if you you, you probably know David York. Mm -hmm. Okay. So David, I loved when he did his first thing, you know, he came out and he said, oh, look, I was doing phenomenal plans based on assets and money and it supported assets and money. And the family purpose was kind of off here to the side. And I thought that I should be the first person that everybody talked to so we could get this down. Now, then I realized that I was doing some really great technical plans that were doing things that were negative to the family's purpose. Yeah. And so now I think I'm the last person they should talk to. You know, <laughs> right. once they've identified, and then we'll do the best planning we can, tax and stuff, but we need to focus yeah. on. And that was a huge shift. I mean, John A worked on that from, you know, that's we met back in the in the nineties when he was trying to do purposeful trusts, and it was like <laughs> that was not well received initially. <laughs> yeah, no, like that, was, that 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 work was so so ahead of its time. But you need those you need those beachhead breakers, right? The right. ones that'll be like, okay, this is the right idea, even if it's not quite the right time. Right, right. And uh, so it, it it is fun to look at somebody was saying, okay, so what is Wealth 3.0? And I go, I don't know yet. And we're not going to know yet. I mean, we know where it's heading and we know you know, the direction and we know some of the parameters around it, but you can't say right now exactly what it's going to look like. The changing demographics. Right. You know, the, the shift in leadership between generations, um, which means a shift in perspective, a widely held perspective over time. There's, there's so many factors. Um, and I, and to your point that like, well, 3.0 as a concept, it isn't something that Jim or Dennis or I, or, or the three of us collectively made up, right? It's like, right. Jim named something in 2019 that he saw happening. And, and it was really like such a bold move to, to do what he did to really say like, Hey, there's a, I see these like new ideas percolating up and have they been around 2012, 2013, 2015, like they're, like these things are starting to to like gain some momentum. And really, it'll only be in retrospect when we right. have distance from this that we'll actually be able to kind of see more of this. But what but the these things have been happening, this sort of call to a more purposeful way of engaging with families, a more um strength uh strengths-based methods for engaging clients and conversations. And, and now like the moment that we're at, I think is, is trying to define and really give some, a roadmap for how do we move forward with creating a higher level of professionalization among our, you know, we're like a discipline of disciplines, right? right? You have <laughs> to have law and tax and you have to have the family dynamics and you have to have the, the philanthropic arm. So we're a discipline of disciplines. How do you move to a higher level of professionalization and cohesion and collaboration? How do you um, how do you actually shift old practice models 
from fear-based um, negativity and, and the protection of assets from the family and the family from the assets. And how do you, like, it, it, like we can have a vision for where we want to go, but to your point, next is to let that start to unfold and see, well, where, where does it go? What, where are the things that our ideas were great, but didn't match how the, the, you know, how, how it's going to unfold. How it's going to work. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it when I did the podcast with Jim, he made that comment about, we just named it thinking, no, you didn't just name it. I mean, you did name it. That's a, you know, that's an important thing. And that's a huge thing to name it, but there was more to it than that. I mean, I don't want to, you know, he was, I'm thinking that's a little self-deprivating. For sure. There's a little more into this than just naming this thing. Um, but it is. And I, since, since I don't have to be self-deprecating cause I can just celebrate my, <laughs> I can say that, like, I, I remember sitting in the room at that PPI rendezvous and like feeling like someone had just like pulled back the curtain in this really meaningful way. And it's, it really is Jim's, um, one of his attributes is he's so curious. He, he understands and reads deeply in lots of disciplines and he um, he's really good at seeing the big picture. So his ability to name it was a result of a lot of input. And he, right. and he holds himself to a pretty high standard of rigor as it comes to clear-headed, grounded thinking. And, and then to actually move pivot from just seeing these things and then saying, like, what do I think it means for what's next for us? And looking at uh, the evolution of other disciplines, like. And yeah. the integration with the other disciplines. That's the other. I mean, we've been in silos. Yeah. For for you know, and, and now as people start looking at this, going, no one person can do this, or no one institution can do this. So we have to have collaboration. Well, a lot of people talk about collaboration. There's not a lot of great models where people have actually been successful at it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so building that, uh, and that's going to come with time, and it's going to change over time because we're changing. You know? <laughs> and, and the, like you said, the demographics, yeah. the psychographics, everything is changing uh, over time. But it's a it, like I said, it it is where we're going, whether we like it or not. I mean, the the rising gens are saying this is you know we want to have our desired outcomes. That's what we're going to focus on. Our measure of success, not just the money. You know, it's and so this is what we're going to do. And Wealth 3.0 is saying from the from the psych, positive psychology, we need to get out of the negative into the positive. We have to acknowledge the negative. This is once I had some people said, how do I stop and not say anything? Well, you can't say nothing because the clients hear it. And they've all, you know, they all have heard shirt sleeves or shirt sleeves and all that stuff. But it's not hard to say, yeah, we know that that's been an issue. So, you know, there's quotes from 2000 years ago in China. Wealth never, but that doesn't tell us any nuances. Right. And that's where the, where the, the new research, this is, that's the other piece to this that I'm really looking forward to. Is is the research that, that Jim was talking about? We spent probably twenty minutes on the phone just talking about what would we want to know. Because yeah. I, you know, what I said to him was, we found out our research said, okay, if you have that culture of communication, trust, and mentoring wrapped around your family purpose, the ninety percent rule didn't apply. We didn't know the tipping point, mm. you know, and the nuances. And so we started talking about, it. is it the same if you have a five million dollar state and a fifty million dollar state and a five hundred million dollar state? Is it the same if it's if the if the money is all in marketable securities as opposed to real estate as opposed to businesses, there's so many. You know, if, if, yeah. if you've made it to the fourth generation, does that mean the odds are better? I mean, you know, there's so much we don't know. 
No, there's so much we we don't know, and I think I, I think as a, a takeaway for the for your listeners that you know it, one of the things that I found um, to be really helpful is to is to be able to acknowledge a client's fears. Like, yeah, I can understand that that right. you would that that you would be fearful that money's going to ruin your kids, that that this is going to be the thing that tears your family apart, but that's not an outcome. That's not a, you're, it's not a destiny. Like right. you can have the fear and you can still be vigilant. I mean, like vigilance is the antidote to fear, not, right. not, you know, pursuing, uh, not, not buying into it and saying that that fear is going to be an outcome. So you can be vigilant and then proactive. And, and as it relates to the statistics that people bring that families bring to the table, I, I say, yeah, I've heard that too. And the truth is like that we have that we have found that the that that research was either flawed or not complete or was taken out of context. And yeah. and the truth is we don't know. Right. We don't we don't know what the the failure rate or success rate of families of wealth over time is. And we're excited to be entering an era where we're gonna start to study that. It was it was funny because I was talking to one of my clients and and he came up, I mean, that's he goes, So what do you think it is? Is it this or this? I said who cares? I mean, ultimately what's important is what does it take for your family to be successful? Right. And, and, and he kind of thought about it for a second. I said, do you care if, if it's only a 1% failure rate, if your family is going to be that 1% and just, you know, it's, it's like, and he goes, okay, so we just need to focus on what we need to do for us to be successful as opposed to everything I've been worried about. Okay. And, and that's, again, he named it. Once they name it, that's yeah. a long way there. So anything else that we should talk about here with the the Wealth 3.0? It is a fascinating, well, like I said, you and I were in the, the Council for Shared Leadership back in 2012 to 14. Yeah. I remember the end of that. We came up with some really good stuff too. I mean, given what, it, what we were starting with, but they said, who's going to take the lead on this? And it was everybody pointing their finger at everybody else, right? It was like, right? all of us were like, I don't have time, you know? Uh, so that was because somebody asked me, I, I guess when I was talking to Jim or somebody asked me about that, you know, did you, is there, how do you feel about the fact that Jim took the lead? I'm like, I'm thrilled. I mean, yeah. we needed that's, I mean, from 2015 or 14, when we were finishing that till now, till uh, 2019, the stuff was still there and it was still growing, but we didn't have the point. Yeah. And yeah, we needed but- that. Naming it was a huge part of it, but just you know, now what you guys are doing, the three of you, that's a huge piece because we need that leadership because people are busy doing what they're doing. I I agree. And I think that this is one of those things, like when I think back on history of like, when have there been, you know, momentous discoveries or changes? And you think about some of the the major um, discoveries, like I'm thinking about Watson and Crick and the DNA double helix and the fact that Watson and Crick were the first to like they they weren't the only ones looking at DNA and the and trying to understand how it um what its role was and what it looked like, right? Like they weren't the only ones doing that. But I can't even remember the names of the other one or two researchers who were doing the exact same thing at the exact at that exact time. Um, but the truth is like these things don't happen without a collection of people who are all starting to shift and think. And, you know, you bring up the the Council for Shared Leadership and like that work was like really exciting and different. And from my perspective at that time, I, it felt so compelling 
but I couldn't figure out like how to get boots on the ground. Right. Right. It was like, it was really exciting, collaborative kind of thinking, but then it was like, well, how do we do it? And I really think that those conversations needed to happen then to move this collective sense of what was coming forward. And then like all the right things happen at the right time. And then it's like, okay, now yeah. we can drop down and we can make we it can see. And you just have to, it's like, it's a collection of thought. And so here we are. And that was one of the things that was so impressive. I mean, that group was really diverse. I mean, we had psychologists really? and, and just financial in, in investment advisors. And I mean, it was a, it was only what, 12, 10 or 12 of us, but they were, us, yeah. but there were all the different disciplines were there. And that was one of the things I think that made it, it got it so exciting because it was like seeing things from other people's point of view. And that, like I said, it was a great start, but I think they took Jim's thing in 2019 to give it a name and give yeah. it a like, yeah, this is something that we should be doing. I mean, we need to take it the next step. We've got some, we've got some foundation laid now, Yeah. but we need to build the building. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But it's like, I needed the organization, the next yeah. level of organization. Yeah. And now we have the, now we have hooks up and we can go start to like right. hang stuff on the hooks. Yeah. Um, thankfully we have a lot of stuff to hang on the hooks because, because a lot of really smart, heartful people have been thinking about this stuff for, for a lot of years. Long, long, long time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so this is, this is cool. Um, and again, if, so and I've got two things for you for this one. Number one, you need to read the myth of the silver spoon. Um, it's a it's a great book, and it does talk a little bit about wealth 3.0 at the end of it. And then uh, listen to the podcast that we did with Jim for wealth 3.0 because that was um, you know coming from him as he was building it uh, with starting with the PPI thing in 2019 and and where it's going now. And this you know like it or not, I'm gonna you know I'm the director type, right? Like it or not, this is where we're going. I mean, we have yeah. like I said, we've got clients saying this is what we want we want it to be positive we want it to be what we want to do and we've got the psychology saying this is what we should be doing anyway i mean it's like yep. it's now's the time to con connect those dots it's it's an exciting time to be doing our work and for advisors in your community i think you know they they're really well positioned to be jumping into this yeah. this next paradigm all right. Well, thank you very much. And hopefully people get a, a, a lot out of this podcast. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you, Rod. I'm delighted to have been here this morning.